thank you, Cindy, for asking me to come and share. I always enjoy sharing, and um, I'll share a little bit of my testimony. Um, and hopefully, my goal today is to encourage you that you walk out with one thing, that you will be encouraged today, because I know that's what God wants. I don't know about you, but so many things are happening in our world today. Our country is struggling like I have never seen it before. Families are fractured. Churches are dwindling. I even see many pastors giving up on ministry. Mental illness is rampant. The Word of God says a lot about this time period, and I'm going to read you a couple of scriptures about the time that we are in. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this is what it says about these people. Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. And from 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 and 2. The Spirit clearly says that in later time, latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Wow. That says a lot about, and I think many of you could see how this fits into where we are at today. So in the midst of this time, what should we as Christians do? Cringe in fear? Deny the truth? Give up on our faith? Today I'd like to spend a few minutes to present to you what the Apostle Paul instructed and what the Apostle Paul followed. Paul's life and his writings are some of the most prominent in the New Testament. Paul started his life as Saul. Saul was a Roman citizen. At that time it was a great honor to be a Roman citizen. He was a Roman citizen, and he was a Roman soldier. He persecuted, listen to this now, he persecuted and had hundreds of Christians murdered. Hundreds of Christians murdered when he was Saul. And then what happened is just like you and I, many of us, he had a personal encounter with Jesus. He was knocked off his horse, literally he was knocked off of a horse, and he was blinded, physically blinded, he could not see. But more importantly than even those two things, he was hit with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what I believe, people. We need 
to happen today in our culture, in our times, in our churches, out of our churches, in our families. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to move in such a powerful way and in a way that no man can lay claim to it. No man will lay claim to it. We will know above and beyond that it is the power of the Holy Spirit. Saul was changed quickly, powerfully, and permanently. And Paul never looked back. He lived and ministered in the area for over 25 years. In looking at his life when Paul knew that death was close for him, we see him describe his Christian life in the following way. He considers the Christian life as the good fight, the only fight worth fighting. He, Paul, fought against Satan, Jewish and pagan vices, immorality in the church, false teachers, worldliness, and sin. He fought against all those things. So where we start today is the point where Paul is actually close to death. Paul had finished his race. And amid trials and temptations, he had remained faithful to his Lord and Savior. God help us to be able to say those same words when we are close to our end. He had kept the faith in times of severe testing, great discouragement, much trouble, forsaken by his friends, opposed by false teachers. And through all of this, he never compromised the truth of the gospel. So how did Paul do this? How is he capable of it? How did it happen? This morning, I want to share some things with you about how Paul did this. How did he stand strong in faith, always headed in the right direction and finishing so strong? So I'm going to use the word, and through the word I would like to look at five principles from Paul's life that he followed in order to win the race. You can and you should take these five principles and apply them to your life and to your race. We all want to be winners, don't we? We all want to finish the race. So hopefully this morning, you will get some encouragement to do that. So number one, this is one of my favorites. Number one, never, never lose sight of the encounter that you had with Jesus. Never forget what he did for you when he saved you. And you each have a different story. I love the scripture in Revelation that says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You each have a testimony. You each have a story. And I don't know about you, but I found in my life, when I share my story with people, I'm the one who's encouraged. I'm the one who grows. I'm the one who's given additional strength to be able to share it again or to share it with someone harder, to spread 
that testimony. And there is so much. It compares our testimony to the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb. Think about that. And think about never losing sight of what Jesus did for you. In Acts 26, Paul is brought before King Agrippa. He has already been brought before the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish hierarchy. He's brought before the governors, Felix and Festus. And there are many, many people who want Paul dead, but none of them want to be responsible for it. Before all of them, Paul shares his personal experience and the encounter that he had with Christ. Paul, underestimate, Paul understands completely what Christ did for him and how he saved him from himself. Have you been saved from yourself, people? If you're a Christian, you have been saved from yourself. Do we remember on a regular basis what Christ has done for us and how he saved us from ourselves? I... Um, and certainly have a story of what God has done in my life. And I would be here most of the day if I shared a lot of it with you. But I want to take just a moment. And when I um, married the first time, I was 18 years old and 10 days out of high school. And I thought I knew everything, Cindy. I, I did. I thought I knew everything. And I married and I, a man who was six years older than me. And... Uh, I didn't want to have children. I wanted to just work and make money and have power and do whatever I wanted to do. And after about 10 years of marriage, that did not work well. And our marriage was falling apart. And I didn't really think that I could respect or love my husband ever again. And we even went to a secular counselor. And then someone came and shared Jesus with us. And I still dragged my feet a bit, but my husband, my first husband, when he got saved, he was so convicted by the Holy Spirit. And I will never forget, he came home to our home after he had prayed with someone to receive Christ, and he said to me, I've become a Christian. And my first comment was, well, what's going to happen to all our friends? And he went in our house. We were out in the driveway. He went into our house. He took a box. And he filled it with alcohol, drugs, pornography, whatever he felt was bad in his life. And he brought it up in the driveway and he burned it. He burned it. And never engaged in those things again. It took me a while longer. I was kind of stubborn. Have to, hate to have to admit that. But the Holy Spirit kept working on me. And I knew that I knew that I needed change in my life. So I received Christ, and both of us, it, it's so amazing, we immediately were catapulted into ministering to other people and sharing with other people. We had a Bible study for marriage, and God was still working in our lives and healing our marriage. But we began, uh, for someone like me, I did not want to have children. We started having foster children, and in a... About a five-year period, we had 17 foster kids, most of them troubled teenagers. Almost all of them received Jesus Christ 
and graduated from high school. That was for me, and I didn't want to have kids. And through the, the foster care, we opened a Christian Teen Center and ran a teen center where kids came. We had music on the weekends. We started ministering to people. My husband loved people. He had a great heart for people. And um, the police in the town we lived in would bring people to him and say, well, can you help this person? I don't want to put them in jail. They just had a fight with their spouse or whatever. So God began to use us, and I believe that part of Paul's life and in our lives is as we're Christians, we need to be moving. We need to be witnessing. We need to be ministering to people because as we go forward, that's how we grow and we change. Amen? So uh, my first husband and I uh, were married 32 years. We had two children of our own. And as I said, we had a lot of foster children. Uh, we ended up, my husband became an ordained Assembly of God minister. And we planted a church. And we ministered in a few churches in our area. And then God decided to take him home. And at the age of 54, he died from uh, having a blood clot. He had a carpal tunnel uh, rotor cuff surgery and during right after the rotor cuff surgery he threw a blood clot my life changed forever and I think many times we cannot and do not understand what God is doing in our life but that doesn't mean that he isn't there and he isn't working and God was working in my life I was just turning 50 years old I had a job I had ministry I did um, but I was alone. But God had other plans, and I met my husband, Russ, was in our church. Uh, his wife, Marsha, passed away three months after my husband died. She had breast cancer at the age of 39 and left four small, young children. If you'd asked me if I was going to remarry and take on a new family, I would not have thought that was part of the plan, but it was God's plan, and he somehow talked me into it. Talked both of us into it. So we married. Russ was just turning 40. I was turning 50. Uh, at Christmas, we will be married 23 years. Now, add up the numbers, Cindy. Add up the numbers. Um, this is really cool because I have now been married to two men both of whom were not pastors when I married them, but both of whom became ordained Assembly of God ministers, and I have ministered with both of them. And raised four children, four additional children. Well, five, there's five there. I have extras. I have lots of extras. But I, I will never forget um, when my husband died and we had the funeral, and I wanted to speak. And everyone advised me not to. They said, it's too hard, you'll cry, you'll never make it, whatever. But I stuck to it because I wanted to be the one to be able to share with my husband. And when I got up that day and touched the podium, the moment I touched it, these words came out. It is well with my soul. And people, I don't care what you're going through, 
what you have been through, if you know Christ, it is well with your soul. And that is how our friend Paul was. And he always, always kept that in the forefront. Okay, number one, never lose sight of the encounter you've had with Jesus. Number two, Paul lived a life free from guilt. And I will add, he, he lived a life free from being hard on himself, not forgiving himself. Okay? I meet people every day, and I mean every day, who cannot forgive others, and they cannot forgive themselves. And it, it handicaps us. It handicaps us from what we can do in our lives, and it handicaps uh, others. So I'm going to read scripture. Paul gained freedom from guilt. Romans 5, 20 and 21. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Thank you, Jesus. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul was free from guilt over his past. Think about it, people. Before he became a Christian and he was a soldier, he murdered hundreds of Christians. Then he became a follower of Jesus Christ. His life changed. How do you live with that guilt? He did. And he grew. And he changed. And he ministered. For we know that our old self, this is Romans 6, 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin, free from guilt, free from taking on too much. In Acts 20, it says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to go to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Amen. Are you living in guilt, friend? Our goal as Christians is to lead others to Christ. Are you allowing guilt, unforgiveness of others, unforgiveness of yourself to keep you from completing the most important goal? Number three, Paul did not allow his circumstances to get him down. Boy, that's a big one, isn't it? In Acts 26, 19. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. 
Hallelujah. Acts 16, 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening. They weren't complaining. They weren't talking in fear. They were praying, and they were singing. They were trusting God with their lives. How are you in handling your circumstances? I know very few people who have almost lost everything they had. One of them was a woman by the name of Carol Pruitt. Pastor Pruitt ministered in Princeton, Minnesota, and I knew her for a number of years. As I talked to her, she was in the final stages of breast cancer. As I spoke with her, she was thanking God for her life and looking for his will in her life, even though she knew her days were numbered. Same thing when, when my husband died, and I shared that I spoke at his funeral behind the pulpit. It is well with my soul. The most important thing is no matter your circumstances, just like Paul, we should not let them get to us. But in all things, thank and praise God and seek his will for our lives. He who is faithful will lead us and guide us in every area of our lives. Two more and then I'll be done. Number four, Paul had a life of prayer and devotion. Acts 28:30. For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6, 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray for me also, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. People, how is your prayer life? How is your devotional life? Could they use improvement? One of the things that I'm doing right now, and I'm not uh, a senior pastor right now. We were at Zimmerman. We stepped aside to kind of retire, but I, it isn't working very well. Um, so we're helping up at St. Cloud. We're doing various things. But I, I have such a burden for our country. And I, I don't know what, you know, at times I think, what should I do? And a friend of mine who has a small church in Zimmerman, her and I are having a Monday, every other Monday night prayer meeting for our country. And we've been doing it for over a year. 
We only have, Cindy, about five people. But I feel like one of the most important things I'm doing right now is going to her church every other Monday night and praying for my country. God will show each one of us where to pray, how to pray, what to pray for. But it's important that our prayer and our devotional life is strong. It needs to be strong. Okay, and finally, number five. This is kind of fun. Paul kept his eye on the goal. Okay? Paul wanted to win the race. 2 Timothy 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearance. Where are your eyes? Do you want to finish the race? Are you doing everything you can to be ready and prepared for it? My husband, Russ, who's here with me this morning, is a runner. I'm not a runner, but he is a great runner. He's run Grandma's Marathon 13 times. I don't think I could walk it once. But he loves to run. And at Grandma's, you know, when I first married him, we started going up there and I started watching him uh, run that race. And he sent me and the kids to a corner uh, in downtown Duluth where the runners come through, okay, right before the end. There's still maybe a couple miles left. The finish line is down in Canal Park. You all know what I'm talking about. So we went down to this corner, and and uh, this th there's a couple of different stories to this, but uh, one of them was Russ, one year, was having a hard time running. He had been cramping up. Any of you who run know you cramp up, and then you have trouble, and he'd been struggling with it for quite a while, but he was determined to run the race. So he's in the race. He's I, don't, I can't remember how many miles he had left, but he cramped up and had to sit down, and I think he didn't know if he was going to be able to finish the race. Well, up there they have people who come right away to your rescue, and they said, you know, asked his name, Mr. Cunningham, can we help you? We'll, we'll carry you. We can put you in this chair, take you to the end. And, and he looked at him and he said, no, I'm going to finish the race. Well, Mr. Cunningham, this is, you know, might be really hard. And he said, I want the T-shirt. You got it? You got it? It's the prize. He was not going to finish that race without getting the T-shirt. And he did. And he got the T-shirt. But while we, and while we were standing on that corner and I was watching people come in, what happened is, you know, companies like Medtronics would all wear the same T-shirt, and they would come running in, and then once they crossed the finish line, they would come back to this corner that I was at, which was about a mile or two before the finish line, and they would come to encourage people. And they would stand on that corner and yell and scream, come on, you can do it. You only have a mile left. You're going to make it. You can do it. 
and they would just be hollering and yelling, and there, was, there were so many of them, and I was just almost overwhelmed. And I felt the Lord speak to me, and I know it was the Lord who spoke to me, and he said, this is how the church should be. This is how the church should be. We should be encouraging one another, helping one another to get to the finish line. No matter what it takes, God will show us and we will understand. And so I learned so much through watching Russ run. I have a really cute picture of him here I even brought along. This is from Ireland. He ran in Dublin four times. And uh, it just, it, it, it's a lesson that he did physically, but boy, has it many, many times taught us. So, Grandma's race, the shirt, where are your eyes? Are they on your own desires, on your own circumstances? Or are they where they should be, on the goal life in Jesus Christ. Let's take Paul's race as something to inspire and to encourage us to set our own goals that we will win the race, that we will not fail, but we will win and we will bring as many people with us as we can. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Thank you for Paul and his life and how um, he encouraged us. And I pray for everyone in this room today, Lord, that they will not give up. Lord, that they will be able to uh, go forward in their life and their walk with you. And Lord, that you will use them, Lord, to grow in the word, to grow in their lives, and also to bring others with us. God, help us not to be discouraged by our country and by the things that are happening around us. But help us, Lord, to be in your word, to be in prayer, to hear your voice, and to follow your word and your way. Thank you for what you're doing in this area, Lord. And I pray that you continue to work in Egan and the surrounding area, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit move and let many people come to you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you would stand as we close, please. Sorry about that, Heidi. <laughs> uh, so if everyone would just bow their heads. Uh, if you today, as, as Wendy was bringing the message, were thinking about the fact that you need to recommit yourself again to to running a good race of faith to end up uh, in eternity and stand before the Lord to hear him say well done good and faithful servant to know that that's the prize you know to be in eternity with Jesus Christ to be in eternity with God if you want to make a commitment today to again say I'm going to do that just with heads bowed just raise your hand Okay, thank you. Lord God, we thank you that we can make this commitment again today to follow you. That we can say we want to run that race in a way that honors and glorifies you. We want to live our lives to bring you honor and glory. And Lord, uh, we thank you for the, the fact.
fact that you give us the Holy Spirit to empower us, to equip us, to guide us. Lord God, I pray that we would be faithful, just like that verse says about um, encouraging others, Lord, that we would be faithful to do that, that um, we would, as part of this church, as part of a, the community of faith in Jesus Christ, that we would encourage each other, Lord, that we wouldn't look for ways that we are different, but we would look for ways that we can say, you know, hang in there, keep following Jesus, and ways to uh, speak words of life into situations, ways to pray for each other and for our country, and Lord, we want to make that commitment today again, to be people like that. We thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing here at South Oaks, how you use us to impact our community and others around the world. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.